Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com Fangoria magazine is back and better than ever in a deluxe 100 page quarterly edition each issue includes set visits deep dives new discoveries and minimal ads all printed on collectible grade paper stock that reimagines the classic magazine for a 2019 audience You'll see familiar names like Michael Gingold and Tony Timpone, and you'll see bylines that will leave your jaw on the floor, like Barbara Crampton. And the best part, it's print only, just like the old days. Go to Fangoria.com to subscribe today. I'm Mick Garrison. Welcome once again to Postmortem AMA, where you have a chance to ask me anything, and I promise to try to answer. Uh, the last couple of episodes, we were lacking our producer, Joe Russo, who was off directing his first feature film. And now he's back, so he can do all the heavy lifting. The AMA show is a, uh, a bite-sized show that we do in alternating weeks between the interview shows. So we'll be back next week with a new interview. But in the meantime, I'm here to ask your question, answer your questions. And Joe is here to ask them. Yes. So, well, I'm glad to be back. Uh, We're glad to have you. Yes. Back to back to normal, normal life again. Um, so today uh, I got an interesting question for you that I think is very timely considering we both have a movie coming out. <laughs> yes, we do indeed. <laughs> So I wanted to get into, because lots of people have been asking questions, not just about the origin of uh, Nightmare Cinema, and, and I, that's really what I wanted to get into today, but I also wanted to talk about, people have been asking about the origin of the Postmortem Podcast and where that came about, and uh, ironically, the, the two are somewhat linked. Uh, so I thought it would be fun to kind of just go back in time, you and I, and, and you know go back to... Uh, the beginning, and I think you know, really, truly, if we're going to start with Nightmare Cinema and where it began, it was kind of when uh, Masters of Horror was coming to an end, and Fear itself was beginning, and you were right. starting to think about what what to do next. Right when when Masters of Horror ran for two seasons, um, Anchor Bay, the DVD company that financed the uh, series, uh, wanted to continue it. Um, but they sold the company, and Lionsgate bought Anchor Bay. And so they thought that it could be a bigger cash cow. Showtime was paying a very small uh, license fee to carry uh, Masters of Horror, 
And Lionsgate said, we want you to double it. And they said, nah. <laughs> and they dropped the show. And so the show ended. Yeah. So Lionsgate decided uh, that they wanted to sell it to NBC, which to me ruins the spirit of what Masters of Horror was all about. Right, to get. because the original idea was to give... Uh, people who were established in the genre the freedom to tell a story that they wanted to tell the way they wanted to tell it, so long right. as they stayed on time and on budget. Exactly. <laughs> However, now it was going to have notes from a network, note for, notes from a studio, notes from advertisers. advertisers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So the last thing that horror benefits from is interruptions for baby diaper ads. <laughs> so well, that's one of the reasons why we stopped advertising. Like, advertisements on this show from BarkBox and things like that. Yeah, you know, (laughs) doing BarkBox commercials for Podcast One and doing true car commercials, (laughs) that's not what I'm here for, and I, I really couldn't do that no, anymore. I'm much I'm, much happier with our sponsors now. Absolutely, uh, yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, so my very first thought after Masters of Horror ended was to do something like it as an international uh, series, where every week it would be an episode shot in a different country with a yeah. filmmaker from that country. And it proved to be way too ambitious for well, the industry. Well, let, let's give people some perspective, though. That This was like 2008, 2009 when you started dreaming up these, these Well, ideas, 2007 right? is when is when uh, Masters ended. Right. And Fear and, Itself was 2008. Yeah, 2008. Yeah. So it's, it was 11, yeah. 11 years ago, really, when this started to formulate. Yeah, it was, it was really even before Fear Itself happened. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of doing the international show. Right. Um, and Fear Itself was something. Thing that my biggest heartbreak in my career, you know, basically they kidnapped my movie and uh, my, they kidnapped my baby and raped it is, Ugh, is yeah. a horrible way to put yeah, it. But, I, but, but that's but what happened in a it, nutshell. It's true. It's true. It's not. It's that's not another episode. Was. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's another episode. But, that's a but, uh, but on a, but on a happier. So, so basically for the next few years, you kind of tried to, uh, See if you could find someone who would match up with this ambition that you had to do. I wanted to do it as a series. Right. To have a weekly anthology show. Right. But make it international in nature. I'd been going to festivals around the world and seeing films in the genre from outside the U.S. Yeah. And seeing what an amazing variety there was. Right. So that proved to be too ambitious for the powers that be and the networks and, and all at the time. Right. So I thought of a series, maybe two, three movies a year under the umbrella Nightmare Cinema Presents. Right. You know, Nightmare Cinema Presents, Toby Hooper's, whatever it is. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, And again, we had resistance doing that because people wanted to do a movie, not a series of movies. Right. I remember, uh, so we met in 2014 when I was still working as a development executive. Right. And, uh, you came in and said you wanted to do the spiritual successor to Masters of Horror, and it was called Nightmare Cinema, and you wanted to have it be international in scope, and I was all in right away. Yay! Yay. <laughs> now, there's I, a studio executive yes. you'll want to work with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If only I had the Greenlight Authority. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> That's a good and, band name, Greenlight Authority. Greenlight Authority. Yeah, yeah man. That, that actually is a fun band name. Uh, so, but, so basically what we, what we did was 
you and I started walking it around town to various different TV studios. Right. Um, and I mean, we went, we went everywhere. We went to MGM. Yeah. Uh, we went to uh, Fox International, Paramount. Netflix. Uh, yeah, uh, we went to the, the Weinstein Company. The Weinsteins, <laughs> yes. The uh, late unlamented Weinstein. Oh uh, yeah, that was that was a good thing. It didn't work out with them because they yeah. were. I remember we had a couple meetings with them. We did. Yeah, we did. Uh, and and but I remember one of the things I remember that I was so excited about was putting that initial list of directors together that we had all these <laughs> LOIs from and I mean yeah. incredible names too and, and people who you'd wanted to get for masters and initially didn't like Guillermo and yeah. Wes Craven and you know uh, and it was yeah. it was everyone wanted to do the project the problem was that the pushback that I was getting from the executive side was that they were afraid that by the time the scripts were done and ready the directors that they were really excited about were going to be off doing. Oh, really? Other, is that bigger, what they said things. to you? Yes, oh, that's, that is literally okay. why we couldn't get anybody to bite on paying for the scripts. Didn't they see Masters of Horror? Well, I know. It's, <laughs> you I know, was like, I, isn't I think, that the proof in the pudding right exactly. there? Like, <laughs> well, we only got John Carpenter, Dario Argento, John Landis, Joe Dante, <sighs> Toby Hooper. I know, uh, but yeah, you know, Stuart when Gordon. when executives, they're yeah. they're traditionally very conservative yeah. uh, and they're very afraid. And, uh, and, and so it wasn't until I actually left that, that development job that I reached back out to you yeah. and we started trying to figure out how to piece it back together again. And I think the, the, the weird, like kind of quirky turn was we were in initially exploring the idea of doing it as a series of digital shorts. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, I was never very enthusiastic. No, about I don't that. think I was either, yeah. but it was a way to maybe get it done. Yeah. You know, but uh, digital shorts to me, you know, uh, that's something you do to try and build a career and, right. and to establish yourself. Well, I think the idea, they were going to have yeah. real money behind them. Yeah, just, I, was, I understand that. Yeah. It's uh, not about the money. Right, right. It was the, the goal was to try to make it like a YouTube premium show or some, right. something like that. But uh, um, quickly, uh, the people who were thinking about financing it kind of looked at the numbers and were like, they didn't think they were going to make any money doing it that way. Right. And suddenly they said, well, how about doing it as a movie? And Yeah, and the idea of... Uh, doing it as an anthology movie, it covered a lot of bases right. because it could act for uh, act as either a launching pad for a number of sequels yep. or what we were most interested in was it would, yeah it would be a backdoor pilot it might have five stories but it would be a pilot for a show that would be one story every week from right. a different filmmaker. Right. right. So that is still the hope. That is still the hope. Uh, or, you know, but if, hey, if we had to make a couple sequels, I think yeah. I'd be very happy with that. Well, too. regardless, even uh, if this is the only movie to come out of Nightmare Cinema, I'm really, really excited about it and proud of it. And if this is the entirety of Nightmare Cinema's life, and it won't be. We're already in discussions about uh, number two. Yep. So, uh, but yep. but I'm I'm really. It took literally took twelve years to get this off. The it's ground. unbelievable. And I yeah. I mean I've only been a part of it for. I mean while when the movie comes out it'll be pretty much five years almost to the day wow. since we met. Is that that is, long? Isn't that wow. crazy? Yeah, I know. I that so this has been this has been quite a shepherd for me for me too. Yeah. But uh, but let's talk about you know so let's talk about the the development. Um, you know, because it, it was a very curated thing. I mean, we really kind of 
looked at like the, the directors who were available and we tried to find directors who fit a specific criterion. Well, and uh, that criterion basically was that I wanted to represent uh, the broadest swath of international talent possible, people who had a filmmaking vision and could express that um, and who had done work that excited me yep. and I knew would excite other people as well. And because of our budgetary situation, basically everybody had to live in L.A. or right. be in L.A. Yeah. We couldn't afford to bring somebody in from another country and yes. put them up. And the dream, the dream of, of shooting these internationally did not happen yeah. on this one. Well, these was, days... It, was the, the, it yeah. was the dream of shooting it in uh, Burbank and right. Glendale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but these days the dream is to shoot in L.A. again because everybody shoots out of town it's and true. out of the country. Your film was shot in New Mexico. In New Mexico, yeah. And no, I've shot because... more in Vancouver than anywhere else and yeah. I was born in Los Angeles I mean, you get 25% back in New Mexico I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's just like that that stretches the dollar so much oh yeah uh, it's hard and, to fight but I'll tell you though one of the things that was nice outside of just being able to go home and sleep in our own beds on on Nightmare was the the crews that we could get in town that were available were fantastic the best crews in the world are in Los Angeles the the film industry started in New Jersey but it grew up in LA and right. came of age in LA yeah and with the weather and, and with all of the all of the uh, facilities and the talent here it, it breaks my heart to have to go out of town on so many productions as yeah. i've done over my career yeah so to be able to shoot in town ironically it was cheaper to shoot in town than to go out of town because we didn't have to travel any any of the talent exactly yeah. yeah no i mean that's that's one thing you don't think about and and also too i think because people were excited to work in town yeah they were okay with taking rates that were maybe a little less than uh because they could see their their family and it was know? a short show we had True. you know joe dante and right. david slade yeah there were really filmmakers they were excited to work with exactly and and it really worked out that way everybody had such a good time and gave to you know we we had KNB, the Oscar and any Emmy-winning uh, makeup effects Which, guys. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. We with that. had uh, Jeff Oaken and Paul uh, Bolger and Casa FX doing visual effects, and yeah. and Vincent Van Dyke and and doing makeup effects for David Slade. You know the DPs we had. We really got a great group of people on a very tightly budgeted independent movie. Yeah, a lot of that has to, to do with Nancy Leopardi, who is a terrific producer. Best uh, line producer in the world, yeah, yes. Yeah, she, and she just did my movie, too, and, and yeah. had a great experience working with her and her partner, Ross. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, they, 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 did, they made magic out of uh, a couple pennies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Nancy is the one who found all of the locations for it. You yeah. know? We didn't even have a location manager. Nancy did it all. Yeah, which it was, was crazy. And she phenomenal. found some really cool ones, too. Like, I love... That was shot in the church from the fog. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such Especially a what happens in that church in oh Ryuhei's segment. There is but, so yeah. much blood. Yeah, I, we don't want to give any spoilers here. I think we just say that. There's so much blood. Yes. Uh, there will be blood. There will yeah. be lots of blood in yes. that church. Uh, yeah, no, she found amazing locations. And I mean, even the hospital uh, from, from For yours. Dead, yeah, yeah, was really... I mean, it's this, this terrific old abandoned hospital in Inglewood. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. In Inglewood. The old Daniel yeah. Freeman hospital. Yeah. 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 And I mean, but it just, and it had like different wings had different looks to it. And, yeah. Uh, we really, got the cheap floor. Yeah. <laughs> it was the one that had the least equipment. Oh my gosh. I just, yeah. I'll never, I, you know, I brought, I brought my, my 
dog on the set periodically. And I remember she was the dirtiest she's ever been, I think, when we shot in the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, queen space. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was haunted. They, they, they would tell us it was haunted. Did you hear those stories? Yeah. Oh, if, well, it's, if it wasn't before we got there, it was when we left. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, they, they told me a, uh, one of the a gaffer had to stay overnight one time and, Doors started opening. And, Ooh. Yeah, all, all sorts of interesting things. Wow, from the yeah. Stanley Hotel in the in Estes Park for The Shining to this. Yeah, yeah. I'll never forget. I was on the phone with a, a friend of mine who was working on a uh, Crackle TV show um, down in like the Caribbean. And I was like, oh, how's it going? And he's like, great. And he was telling me about how he was working on the script on the beach. And I'm like, oh, I'm in Inglewood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> So so one so one one thing that I think, you know, because of our relationship on postmortem and on Nightmare Cinema, a lot of people think that uh Nightmare Cinema was born out of the relationship uh of postmortem, but it's actually the inverse. Yeah, uh, it's kind of the opposite. Basically yeah. I was not looking to do a podcast. No, no, you weren't. And uh I had done postmortem as a TV series for Fearnet. Yes, which I gobbled up as soon as I discovered it. Uh, <laughs> we did 10, 10 episodes of that. We had John Carpenter and Toby Hooper and Wes Craven and uh, yeah. you know the Wes William Craven Freakin. interview yeah. and the William Freakin interview. I think are, are phenomenal. Well, um, thank you. But the the great thing about an interview show is if you have a great guest, you have a good show. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, That's true. And you went to a party and met someone from podcast. One. Yeah, no, I it was it was completely on a lark. I knew nothing about podcasting whatsoever. Yeah, and I went to a housewarming party in Pasadena, and guy started saying that he worked at Podcast One, and I said, you know, it's really funny. Um, I don't, I get pitched movies all the time working in development, but you know, I've never I've never usually pitch other people other opportunities. I was like, but I'm going to pitch you a podcast idea. <laughs> And kind of hoping on a wing and a prayer that you would say yes, I pitched him the idea of doing, taking the postmortem TV show and turning it into a podcast. And he said, if you bring Mick Garris in, uh, I'll get you in the room with the CEO right away. Norm, yeah. That's what happened. Uh, It's weird because I went into this meeting with you. Yep. And... Podcast One is by far the biggest podcaster in the world. Totally. They have over 200 podcasts, mostly with big uh, radio and TV stars and celebrities and the like. And they were pitching me. They were trying to tell me why I should be doing a podcast with them. And I wasn't used to that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it it was pretty great. And I thought, you know, this could be fun. You know, Uh, they had beautiful facilities in Beverly Hills yeah. uh, and and they were talking about how how profitable it is and they would split the advertising and they're like well didn't turn out to be the case no it's it's evolved and we've yeah. we've had quite a journey so far yeah. but uh, but I think we have great partners with Fangoria right now oh yeah yeah uh, but but it was it was just a complete it was because we were already working together on Nightmare Cinema right that I felt I had the relationship to you know, off the cuff pitch this podcast, and here yeah. we are, two and a half years later. Yeah, we're in our third season, thousands now. and thousands of downloads later. Yeah, uh, so um, it's pretty pretty cool. But uh, but you know, I you know, getting back to the the locations from Nightmare. I mean, one thing that I think uh, you, you know, you mentioned our, our DPs who were who were great. I mean, obviously David Slade had his go to uh, yeah, Yo Williams, Williams, yeah, uh, who was amazing. 
Um, and then, you know, Ryuhei had his go-to guy who Alejandro used, uh, right. Matias, Matias, who was, Schubert. Yep, yeah. who was terrific. And then, uh, and then there was Andrew Russo, uh, yeah. who, who you and who Joe Dante mine used. And, Joe's, yeah. and, and now my first feature. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, but I think the other, the other kind of rock star outside of Nancy finding all those locations was, uh, the unsung hero is Lauren Fitzsimmons. Oh, uh, Lauren was our production designer and so great. She and her crew... Uh, I wasn't familiar with her work at all. Yeah. And uh, Nancy had all the confidence in her, and I learned to trust Nancy when yes. it came to crew people and creatives and the like. And Lauren and her team tackled every, every one of the episodes has a totally different feel. Oh, my gosh. The, and the art department was visually, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the visualizations, even though we didn't build sets, we were on locations for mm-hmm. everything because of budgetary reasons. Well, but I mean, it also gives a density and yeah, Yes and, and no. Because, I mean, in like Joe's segments, they, they kind of built the set into the location. Right. I remember, right. I mean, like, yeah. it was it was the drabest boringest looking office it was a real estate seen. office yeah. that and had been closed all, and then, down and yeah. then they literally built the set into the location it became this beautiful spa right and uh and i, I you know and and like i love what they did with the and they'll still see the it in striping the on the wall yeah and, and the, the, yeah. the effect that has with the camera is terrific the and woozy camera uh yeah all the the, the color changing elevators and stuff and mm-hmm. there's some really cool things that she did production design wise that uh no uh, she was fantastic yeah. in turning a a mausoleum yes into and a church into a uh, an east la catholic school yes <laughs> and you would never know that those are multiple locations like it right. feels so cohesive and and uh one which is which is great i think my my favorite memory though of of lauren was on david slade's uh you know and it's in the trailer you can see it so it's not really a big spoiler but we really dirtied up the old L.A. Times building, and I mean... Which is now uh, a Los Angeles city government building. Wow, that's funny. Yes. Times have changed. Yes. Uh, but I'll never forget... Literally. The, uh, yeah. I, I'll never forget the the mud that they were flinging on the walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I'll never forget the location scout or manager standing behind me, like literally chewing on his fingernails, <laughs> yeah. saying, now you're sure they're going to be able to get this off? And, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, yeah, they tested it. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm, they're still cleaning it off no, two years no. ago. No, no, yeah. we got it. They got oh. it off. They were, they were, they were, they they did do tests and they did find that they could take it off. But I mean, still, when you saw yeah. the sheer scale of David's vision, oh yeah, uh, I mean, it's oh it yeah, was, it's the blood in the church. They're still trying to clean. Yes, the blood in the church. They're still trying to get out. The mud on the walls. We got off. Yeah, but I mean, I'll never. I mean, but they were cooler about the blood in the church. They were. They Father were. Michael was unbelievably. Yeah. Uh, helpful and accommodating. I don't know how, what he'll think when he sees the movie, but uh, it'll be a big surprise anyway. Um, well, I guess, you know, just, just to kind of put up, I'm sure we'll be talking about Nightmare Cinema a lot in, in the future, and uh, but I just thought it'd be fun, you know, because you and I have such a, an interesting shared history on it. Um, but, you know, as far as, as far as Dead goes, I think, you know, obviously you used... Actors you've used in the past, like like Annabeth, and actors from the, and know, Dan, and, yeah, and Dan, and yeah. Um, but you also really, I think, one thing that people probably won't realize is you had an extensive search for your lead. Uh, yes, well, uh, it, the character was written as a twelve-year-old 
child prodigy pianist. And I didn't want somebody who I had to cut away to their hands and right. have somebody else playing piano. Right. I wanted the soul of a musician. And we found an amazing kid. And I also, it was important to me for this movie to be ethnically diverse as yes. well. And I wanted to use a, a primarily African-American cast on yeah. this because the expected thing is the privileged white 12-year-old boy who's a classical pianist. Right. And so going into it from a different unexpected and unanticipated direction, I was looking for somebody who was not that stereotypical child. And so I was looking for a gifted, classically trained, piano-playing 12-year-old. Oh, boy. Dude, that, was that an interesting casting call? Oh, man. <laughs> it was rough. And we went yeah. through a lot of... There were some very talented kids, but Raleigh... Uh, Okay. Folly. Folly Rakatahavana is his name. And he's uh, um, an amazing actor. He'd never done a lead before. Yeah. And uh, this was his first lead, and he killed it. Yeah. He was, first of all, he's incredibly sweet and hardworking, but so talented. He has an, a really unique look, really special kid who I yeah. think has a really strong future ahead well, I mean, of even when we were shooting, I, I don't remember this, but he had to like leave to go audition for a network pilot. Oh yeah. 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 Like literally, literally yep. in the middle, like he was, yeah, which was, which was crazy. But I, and, and gosh, man, when, when you put him up with, uh, Mickey Rourke eventually in the movie <laughs> yes. too, he, he was, he I held feel his like his, his fear was palpable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. I don't know how much acting was required there. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was really amazing and it all hinges on his shoulders you know Absolutely. it's also a, kind of an emo ghost story so it goes really emotionally deep and he went there and yeah. uh you know there were some genuine tears drawn from him during the course of of the shoot yeah. <laughs> in the scenes mind you right 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 right. yes <laughs> not behind the scenes it was all all smiles and fun yeah but, uh, but really he's was really, a really find. yeah no i yeah. mean it really i i mean getting getting to watch you direct was was a real pleasure because you kept such a a your your light touch that you have in your interviews and everything you, you bring to the set too and and it was really wonderful getting to watch you work with the the actors and you know well, i think it, uh, it's so much fun I, I i every day i'm grateful that i'm able to make a living doing what I would do for free or that I would pay to don't, do. Don't tell people. Yeah, that, I right. know. Well, thank you to the Writers Guild and Directors Guild so that I don't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I mean, any any closing thoughts or remarks on Nightmare before we wrap up this latest well, AMA? Uh, just that it's been a long time coming and it's thrilling that it's finally coming out there and that some people will be able to see it in theaters. We're in 23 cities around uh, the U.S., where you can actually go to a theater and see it for the opening night and opening week. Uh, but it will be available on VOD as well. I would and, encourage, even if yeah. you're going to watch it on VOD, get a group of friends to watch it with. Because yeah, on I the think, biggest screen you can. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not, just, not just because I think the movie plays better with other people around, like any good scary movie. Yeah, horror uh, and, and comedy are best shared. And, there, and there's, there's not only are there great scares and great gore in this there's some fun laughs too and i think yeah. uh you know especially alejandro's and joe's have some really fun 
beats to them. And Definitely. I think they're their best shared. And I think Ryu Hayes and, and David's have some really shocking moments and, and yours have some really emotional moments that you can get kind of misty eyed with everybody around you. And it's just going to play. I would encourage people to, when we saw it in Montreal together at the world premiere, right. uh, I mean, we had a almost 800 seat house filled and I mean, it was a raucous screening. Well, I'll tell uh, you, maybe the best screening of my career was in Mexico city with this movie in a former opera house, 110 years old, three balconies, 1,100 seats, and we had to turn 200 people away. I saw the photo. It's unbelievable. The reaction was just spectacular. It was really great. That. That and, was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the worst thing I think you can do is sit in your house by yourself and watch this on your own. I think it, I think there are yeah. worse things you could do. All right. All right. Fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but but I, I do think it's, it's an experience that is best uh, shared and enjoyed. And, yeah. and to me, it truly was was uh, such a thrill to be a part of kind of helping you bring Masters of Horror back in a new way. And uh, Yeah, and I thank you for that, Joe. Well, it was my absolute pleasure. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.